Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TMX Presents, the podcast. My name is George Khalif, Vice President of U.S. Capital Formation. Today, I'm joined by Carlos Vicens, the CEO and Director of Full Circle Lithium, under ticker FCLI. Carlos has a proven track record in the financial industry with over 25 years of experience and over $12 billion of hands-on transactional deal experience in investment banking and corporate development. Full Circle Lithium has a fully permitted lithium processing plant in Georgia, in the United States, and a complement of seasoned lithium experts. Full Circle is a lithium processor. Its focus is on lithium and battery materials reintegration to meet the demand for crucial battery-grade raw materials utilizing proprietary tech and know-how. Carlos, thanks again for doing this. Thanks for being on the podcast. A pleasure to be here, George. It's uh, good to see you again. Likewise. We've had several one-on-one coffees talking about both the mining as well as the clean energy industry. You're someone who's had a proven track record in both the financial, but also the, I would say, the more technical side of the industry over 25 years. I did want to start by just asking out of personal curiosity, what got you involved initially in this specific vertical? That would be a kind of a funny story. I mean, I, I started getting involved in the lithium space when I was working for Scotiabank as an investment banker. And at that time, nobody really wanted to work in lithium, right? I mean, we're talking about 2008, 2009. Very few people have heard about lithium. Everybody wanted to work in gold and copper, all the other mining commodities, and nobody wanted really to work there. And I said, yeah, sure, not a problem happy to help there. And I did that and I did diamonds and I did all kinds of, um, I would say, weird commodities or anything that got me ahead a little bit into competitive nature of that business, which is investment banking. So for me, it was, I guess, luck of the draw. And it went well because I had a chance to work in the initial, I would say, corporate financings on the TSX there, raising money from institutional investors and retail, as well as working with some of the governmental offices in Chile, Corfo to be exact, and analyzing some of the royalty agreements they had at the time with SQM and Albemarle. So you rather be lucky than good, and sometimes you gotta be good to be lucky, but I guess those worked (laughs) at the same time. Hand in hand. What's interesting, I posted this on LinkedIn not too long ago. A lot of people don't realize Roughly 43% or so of the world's public mining companies are listed on the TSX and TSX Venture Exchange. So it's obviously home to you know more mining companies than any other market in the world. It also oversees a lot of the financings that these companies do. One of the things I wanted to ask you, being in this space on both sides of the ball, why do you think mining has been so critical to Canada's history? It's resource based. So people who really understand the gritty detail of mining and any other resource, oil and gas as well. So they they're highly technical and they understand the economics and what it takes to succeed. So I think that's the base. So when you have that institutional knowledge, that kind of blends in into the retail knowledge and so forth. So there's a lot of people talking about those types of finances. And and once you get that ball rolling, I think it doesn't stop. And it's been nurtured for a very long time. I mean, since obviously since I started working uh, way before that. And the only thing that I believe that TSX is missing would be kind of the larger mining companies. And when I started my investment bank career, I was in the M&A side and we were pitching to the TSX how to be able to 
bring those larger mining companies here and broaden the horizon of what today is, like you said, the largest mining platform in the world, I believe. But if you get those bigger ones, I think it will be even more larger. But at the end of the day, this is by far the platform that you can see, trade, and understand the majority of miners in the world. I mean, and you're talking about all types of commodities, from gold to lithium, you know, and anything in between. Now, what we do may not be considered lithium, and sometimes lithium gets kind of put into the mining aspect, but as we're going to discuss later on, hopefully, it's more on the processing side. That's where it all really takes shape. At the end of the day, when we start producing, we'll be more like a chemical company. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a chemical company trades a little bit different than mining companies. But at the end of the day, we still extract resources from the ground at the beginning and then kind of morph into a more chemical-based company. Gotcha. Well, on that tangent, thank you for that beautiful segue. As a podcaster, I always appreciate those <laughs> those smooth transitions. <laughs> Speaking of full circle, Lithium, which recently went public on the TSX Venture Exchange, what I find extremely interesting about this story is now you have a fully permitted lithium processing plant that's based in Georgia in the U.S. You sort of transition from this investment banking, mining background in Canada, becoming the CEO of Full Circle Lithium, taking it public. Before we get into the weeds of that, what drew you specifically to lithium as a subset of both clean energy and mining, and then, as we'll see in a bit, on the chemical side? Back when I ended my career as a banker, like I said, I did quite a bit of work there. And it was, for me, it was clear that lithium was going to be something different than the majority of the commodities that were traded, you know, the golds and then the silvers and the coppers. Yeah, granted, they all have their good projects here and there. But in general, the industry, I thought it was going to be bigger than anything else. So I was lucky to have met pretty smart people within the lithium space that were already involved in a project on Lithium Americas. I was able to meet Paul Fornazari and Waldo Perez. And then when they started Neolithium at that point, they contacted me to help them go public at the time. This is my, I guess, my second go public go around in terms of starting from the beginning to end and all the way through. So for me, it was difficult to wrap my head around the potential for lithium. And this was back in, you know, 2015, when we were talking a little bit about EVs and, you know, it might happen, it might not happen. But now it's, <laughs> it's mainstream. And now it's not only EVs, we're talking about planes and trucks and whatever, you know, whatever's next. So it's become a completely different industry. And it's super exciting. And you see the interest in the industry now, it goes beyond a couple guys or a handful of people within a conference. I mean, we're, I was just in a conference. We we're speaking this before we started the podcast. I was in a conference, a battery conference last week in Indianapolis. And the gentleman that they came up said, look, was it four or five years ago, there was 20 people in the conference. And this was a packed house, 800. They had to close the conference for other people. And it's like that everywhere. So all the supply chain from extracting the raw materials to all the way down to EVs and OEMs and everywhere in between, you see people now participating. So it's broadened the horizon, not only on the participants in the industry, but the investors that are willing to participate in the industry. So you can participate in any part of the, I guess, the supply chain. You could be, if you like mining, you can do on the mining side. And if you like more OEM size, so if you want that, you can do Tesla. So you can participate in lithium buying a stock in Tesla, or you can participate in the industry by buying a stock in a mining company in Argentina, which was our last go around with Neolithium, or somewhere in between where you're processing is like full circle lithium, where we're kind of 
processing either recycled material or raw material into a product that can be sold in the industry. And beyond that, there's many different segues that you can invest into. But it's interesting. And that's why I believe at the time that, you know, I didn't know it was going to get this big so fast. But again, you have to have a little bit more of a foresight in terms of where you want to go and then go at it and work hard and with good people. And you'll see if uh, you'll succeed. So for me, I was lucky that obviously the lithium space got bigger than I thought it would be. But it's an interesting space nonetheless. I mean, highly technical, very smart people. We're talking about labs in the U.S. that triple PhD guys that <laughs> they, they've been to school more than I've been in professional careers. So you're talking to very smart people, highly technical. And my job now as a CEO is to kind of explain to a certain extent the difficult part of the industry in an easier way. I sometimes obviously don't understand all the level of details that go beyond some of the technical issues, but on a big level picture, I do. And that's why I try to convey to investors and institutions and anybody that wants to hear me. You brought up Tesla a little bit, but I think most people, when they hear lithium, especially someone like me on the business side who isn't on the technical aspect of what you're discussing, people think electric vehicles, but they don't also realize every single phone in the palm of everyone's hand who's listening to this at the moment has lithium components in it your laptop, your digital camera, so many of the things we use on a daily basis has these chemicals that, to be honest, myself included, you both take for granted, but you're sort of oblivious to because it's something you don't realize, right? It's in the back end, it's in the hardware. You don't really see it visually and you don't realize it's powering so many of our critical components and technology that we use. With that in mind, again, for people listening who have never come across what this even means, let alone recycling, lithium, what does that supply chain process look like? If you can give us like a 360 view, extremely high level, what happens when it goes from the ground to my iPhone? What does that process look like? And where does full circle fit into this whole supply chain? To your point, just to add a little bit, I mean, I think nobody knows that the largest buyer of lithium in the United States is the Department of Defense. And there is between 10 and 15 pounds of lithium in each soldier in the US. It's crazy. Nobody knows that. But anyway, to answer your question, so there are three main types of mines in the world. And I'm just going to, again, I'm going to generalize. You got brine assets, which are water-based, so liquid water with lithium. There is hard rock, which the name says is hard rock that contains lithium. And then you grind it and then you extract the lithium through a processing solution. And then there's something in between, which is clay assets, which is not liquid. It's not hard rock, somewhere in between. That's a more difficult way acid to process. As of now, there is no clay acid in production. There are several brine acids and there's many hard rock acids that are in production, but no clay acids. There are larger ones that are now being built in the U.S. and other places, and they should start producing over the next, I would say, three, four, five years. So those are the three main acids. From those assets, when you extract whatever is that precursor material, either concentrated brine or that pulverized hard rock or that clay acid, you have to process it. Usually, the processing may happen, the same company may do the same processing, but not all. For example, some hard rock acids in Australia sent their spodumene concentrate, which is a precursor material, to China, and then China processes that spodumene concentrate would contain lithium into lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate. And that's a very, very big market. In fact, China does not control the raw material, meaning 
the mines itself, but control the processing. And that's how they control the lithium space in general, apart from the fact that they produce all kinds of other products in the supply chain. But that's how China tends to control the mine, by buying or contracting and long-term offtakes and stuff of that nature, the material, and then them processing into final materials. So once you have those three mines, that you process it, some companies do process their raw material into a final product. For example, like the companies in Chile and some of the Argentinians are starting to do that into lithium carbonate. So all the way through, and then they'll sell that lithium carbonate to battery manufacturers. And those battery manufacturers then put it in batteries, whatever those batteries may be. It could be a cell phone, like you said. It could be a power tool. It can be a car, it can, whatever it is that they need it to do. Between the processing company and the final user, there's like 20 verticals that you can get into in terms of cathode, anode, gigafactories, and so forth that provide a certain service to the industry. Now, I'm not going to get into that level of detail, but that in general, that's the way it works. So you extract the mineral, you process the mineral, and then you sell that mineral that's been processed into a saleable product, which can be technical grade or battery grade, into the battery makers, which then the battery makers put into the battery. And then it is what we use every now and then in our phones and computers and, and cars. But there is significant level of complexity between the final product, which is lithium carbon hydroxide, meeting specs and all that, into putting into a battery. You know, I sometimes on the tech side of things, people complain about being in hardware because it's, you know, it's gap intensive. It doesn't get as much love from investors. Imagine being in, in the space that you're trying to build in. I imagine both complexity, but also technicality in terms of talent and the hardware that's required, the capital. So much of this seems like the barrier to entry is, is very, very difficult. To get started is baffling to me, to be honest. And, and you came across the facility in Georgia. How did that whole situation happen? Yeah, so during our time at Neolithium, one of the things that I did was to travel the world and meet everybody that wanted to hear our story. And we met with OEMs, we met with cathode material makers, we met with battery material makers, we met with anybody, government officials. And through that, you know, those meetings, I met an individual who is now our COO, Tom Curran, that owned this plant in Georgia. He had built this plant in Georgia with his father in the late 90s, closer to the port of Brunswick. And then a developer started building in the port and then they moved inwards into a town in Georgia called Nehanta. So they rebuilt that further inland. Again, it is close to highway, and it's close to infrastructure, and it's close to rail. So, you know, still pretty good location. But at the time, there's nothing really going on in terms of gigafactories and so forth. So long story short, when we ended our, we sold the project or Neolithium last year, we started to say, what are we going to do next? Should we do upstream again and try to find an asset, which Again, I've talked to everybody. There's that many available. And the value that I saw wasn't big enough for what I wanted to do. So we decided to move downstream because we saw a lot of value. And there isn't enough downstream players within the U.S. producing lithium final products that can really make an impact in the short term. So we knew mm -hmm. that Tom existed because of friendships and, and you know relationships there. So we gave him a call and he said, yeah, I still have the plan. It's just been shut down since 2012. But if we have a plan to rebuild the plant and then potentially have some 
precursor material run through that plant, then we can make something happen here. So we started having those discussions and you know, here we are. So we have the plant in Georgia. We were fully refurbished and operating at 2000 tons per annum. And now what we're trying to do in that plant is fill the plant because you can have a plant, it's all good, it's nice, but if you don't put anything through that plant, then it, it has some value, but it doesn't have the value that we want it to have. So now we have three verticals that feed into that plant. That's, in essence, the story of how we got into the plant and how we found that plant and how we built a business around a plant that was already existence. And by the way, Tom is a 40-year-old veteran of the lithium industry. This gentleman, you can't find these anywhere, especially when the U.S. at the time, when talking about 90s, the U.S. was the leader in lithium. They were the leader in processing lithium. We had the mines of lithium. We had the processing capacity. But then slowly but surely, it went to the East, it went to China, and it went to Asia, and it didn't stay here in the U.S. But this is a gentleman that worked for DuPont and the predecessor of Livent. He's built six plants like these around the world, mostly in the U.S. And then we have another gentleman that works on the processing side that has over 20 patents and has worked, again, 30 years in the industry and has significant knowledge. So we want to be the home of the lithium science. That's essentially our tagline. We tell to everybody, we're lithium base. We want to be the best lithium processors in the world. Albeit we're small, but we want to be the best ones out there and have a short-term impact on what everybody's trying to do in the industry. We don't want to be talking about five to 10 years from now. We want to be talking about six months from now, a year from now. We want to be processing and we want to be pushing out product and making money for our shareholders. And that's the idea. That's all we're trying to do. We want to be the best lithium processors that we can be, and we're building the team to do so. Thank you for that overview. One thing that's coming to my mind is thinking of Full Circle now as a almost as an intermediary. Is that fair to say? Because you sort of sit as a processor, you sit in between being fed the raw material itself. So I'm assuming that you collaborate with mines as one stakeholder, and then you feed it to the end consumer who, let's say, purchase it for battery reintegration. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I would say so. Like I said, we have three different business segments, verticals, as you want to define it. One is there's two that are recycle based and there's one exactly what you're talking about. So the first recycle vertical would be our midstream recycling. And what we do there is that we go into industrial and chemical companies that utilize a lithium product, whatever that lithium compound may be, and have a stream that they don't utilize or they can't reutilize in their system that contains lithium. A lot of people call it a waste material, but for us, it's not waste. For us, is you know, a pretty good material that has quite a bit of value. And we cycle the lithium within that stream and or waste and then resell it back to them, the specs that they need in their process, or we can send it to our Georgia plant and produce lithium carbon and then send it to the market. That's stream A or vertical A. Vertical two is recycling of batteries. And we're doing several things different there. There's many companies in the battery space trying to recycle end-of-life batteries and or spec, out-of-spec or off-spec material within their facilities. We're focusing on LFP batteries, which are lithium-iron phosphate batteries, and we're working away on that. There's a lot of work being done there. And during our R&D work, we've also developed, and this is something that came out new, George, and I don't know if you know about this, is that we developed what we believe is a game changer fire suppressant solution within this business vertical. And this fire suppressant solution mm. is the same solution that we take batteries apart safely. So if you're not taking batteries apart within a solution that mitigates 
all the vapors and as well as the energy that comes out of the battery as you take it apart, then you're going to have a fire. You may have an explosion. You don't want that. You want to be safe. So that solution we've created internally and we've demonstrated now that it can also act as a fire suppressant apart from taking apart batteries. Wow. So that's uh, like a double whammy there in that business segment. And the third one is exactly what you're saying is that we're trying to also find partners in the upstream business, meaning the mines, and be their processing arm. So a lot of these miners are geologists or engineers that are mining focused and they like to extract material, but they're not really processors and they don't know the lithium space as well. So we're trying to be that arm for them. Now that's a much longer term kind of business segment because we would need to wait for these mines to develop, go through the process. And you know this better than anybody, George, at the TSX, you got to go through, you know, the PEA, the PFS, the FS. So it's a long process, tedious process, but we can help them get there faster and provide a lot more data now faster for them to get to that potential production down the road. And we can take some of the risk off their hand, meaning on the processing side, we can help them with the CapEx, hopefully, potentially. We have a plant that can serve to that for them to produce a certain amount of material. We have a lab that can help them. So they don't need to build the lab. They don't need to build the plant. So those are the three verticals. And for now, we believe that all of the verticals have great value. We're working away on each of them and we're trying to fulfill uh, the mission. So, which is the home of lithium science. Again, all about lithium, recovering as much lithium as we can, helping people produce lithium to get to the market fast. Which of those three segments, let's not comment on FCL specifically or Full Circle Lithium, the company, but which of those three segments do you think excite you the most about the industry and where the industry is heading? Like, what do you think is the future out of those three segments? I think out of it as a, as a CEO with a fiduciary duty to my shareholders. And what excites me most is to be cash flow positive and generate value as fast as I can without mm. losing sight of, like you're saying, the future, medium and long term. The one that excites me the most right now is the midstream recycling, because we'll be able to hopefully recycle lithium from supposedly waste material from chemical industrial companies and resell that back to them shortly. I'm talking about six months to a year and make money there. That gives us a very nice foundation for the rest of our business. And then, of course, the, the battery segment is a highly competitive segment. There are big players in that segment. But just to give you a comment that came out of the same battery conference that I was last week, a gentleman came up and said, with a show of hands, are there any experts in lithium in the room. And there were 800 people within the battery recycling. Zero hands went up. Zero, not five, 10, zero from 800. So there are no, I would say, lithium experts in the lithium battery recycling business. Yeah, I understand that the battery is not all lithium. It just has the name lithium ion battery because there's a portion of it. And I understand that cobalt and nickel is there. And I understand a lot of the factors, but I believe that the industry is missing the lithium importance within the battery. And we're not recovering lithium at all from these batteries yet. And that's why we're focusing on recovery of lithium. And it excites me that we're doing that. Not only that, that we're doing it in a way that we go bottoms up and we were able to develop this fire suppressant solution. So that gives me an excitement, but that's more medium term because the battery's not there yet to recycle. We can recycle, you know, potentially off-spec material, which we're doing. We're looking at working with a couple companies on that off-spec material. And hopefully over the next three to five years, you get that 
amount of batteries coming in end of life or even longer. So there's a long way for that business to really generate, but it's kind of medium term. And then what excites me the most in terms of potential to be very big would be the business that you alluded to and I talked to, which is our lithium refinery business, which is us working together with a miner and then now having capacity to potentially produce 10, 20, 30, you know, thousands of tons of lithium carbonate in that industry. So that's what excites me to be potentially be very large, but you need to walk, jog, run before, you know, you're running a marathon. You know, maybe a 5K would be better before you go into a marathon or a longer run. And a lot of people are missing that too in the industry. They're trying to raise $2 billion and building this monster of a thing, but they really don't go through the stages of pain sometimes because you're going to make mistakes. This is a really new industry. There's a lot of unknowns within the battery cycling, all of the verticals that I told you about. There's some unknowns there. There's some risk associated with each one of them. But if you do these things in a way that you're able to potentially mitigate them, or at least if you're going to make the mistake, able to change course and fix those mistakes before you really put the money in and build a larger facility, then that's where you really add value. So all business segments really excite me, but they excite me in terms of short, medium, and long-term. And I don't believe we've stopped growing. I think that we can look sideways and potentially grow with acquisitions. And that's one of the reasons we're public, right? I mean, I told you this as soon as we met because you you asked me the question, so why is that you want to go public? Well, besides raising money in one of the best capital markets platforms in the world and being able to talk to the same people that I talked to at NEO that I've nurtured through many years, also investment banking, you can use your shares to potentially acquire another company, and that could be a public company, or it could be a private company that wants to go public, right? And that's a very good mean to monetize some of their hard work over time when you publicly are able to provide them with shares that they can measure in terms of value. So that's something that we always have present. I like to potentially be more aggressive than passive. This time around at NEO, we were very focused, sharp focus on Brian Asset in Argentina, nothing else. We're not looking sideways. We're just looking down and make sure this is going to work. And we did and we went well. But in this segment, I think you also need to look up and make sure that, you know, if there's an opportunity, you take that into account. Yeah, no, thanks for that. That's actually going to be one of my questions is the decision to go public and to take it public when, you know, you were still sort of refurbishing the facility, getting it ready and preparing it to be commercial. And, you know, Full Circle Lithium went public on May 1st of 2023, raised close to 10 million bucks and fairly short order. I always joke with you that it was such a smooth listing, knock on wood. So what are some of those lessons as a former investment banker, having done this for the second time now, a lot of CEOs might be listening to this who haven't taken a company public yet. What are some of those lessons learned in hindsight? Well, George, you you saw from the outside, and I guess for you, it went smooth, but it's never that smooth. You you made it look smooth, (laughs) maybe I should say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If I would tell a CEO or a new company that wants to go public, look, it's not easy but it's doable. You just got to keep going. You're going to have issues on the accounting side. You got to have your financial statements. You got to have the right team on the, I think a very important part for me was having the right team on the accounting and your auditors set up to make sure simple things like, oh, what's our year in closing day? So December or is it off cycle? We want it to be off cycle. You know why? Because it matched well. So when we're going to go public and also you get more attention from your auditors and that's simple fact. But if you want to go December 31st year end, well, you know what? And you're a small company. The auditors have bigger clients and bigger fish to fry. So know that at least things to that. Those are simple things. But 
on a much more, I think, broad and major aspects of that are importance is have the right partners to go public. Do not go public and be a company that trades zero shares and has no support whatsoever. That's a no-go. Don't do it until you have the support that you believe is fair. Again, we're not perfect, but we believe we have some support and we'll build that support. And that's my main job. My main job is not to produce lithium. My main job is to kind of be the manager there and, and give them the resources they need. My main job is to make sure that our story gets told in the capital markets here in Canada and the U.S. as well. We want to tell the story. And there's a lot of investors very, very interested in the capital markets in Canada and the stories that we're trying to tell. So that's something very important that you need to do and raise money that is sufficient for you to, I would say, live with for at least 18 months. I mean, you don't want to go back to the market in you know six months from now begging for money because that's not going to be looked upon well. You mentioned that we raised 10 million as we went public, but before that we had raised 5 million to have the plant not fully refurbished, but close to being fully refurbished. And that 10 million Canadian, as we went public, really kind of gave us enough money to go public and have a business that we could generate revenue and potential cash flows over the next 12 months. So that was our intention. I mean, there are many different aspects of it, but support from banks and shareholders, or regardless shareholders, are extremely important. And make sure you have skin in the game. I always say that. I think that as a company or a group of people that are putting a company together, if you're not going to run it, the people that are running it, you need to have them be have some skin in the game that they wake up wanting to go to work because they know if it succeeds, they succeed. So everybody's aligned. Sometimes you put a for hire CEO or something like that, and that doesn't really work because they're just clipping some sort of salary and they're not as vested as you are. So be sure to have that. Well, thank you so much, Carlos. I uh, really appreciate those insights towards the end. appreciate the overview on the lithium industry and, and what Full Circle Lithium is doing to be a part of it. It's an exciting vertical, and you're at the forefront of it, my friend. Thank you very much, George. It's been a pleasure to be with you and talk to you. Of course, there's a lot of more things to say, but I'm happy to chat with anybody that wants to do it. You can find all my contact information on our website and at the TSX, and happy to chat with people about the company and about the story and how we got here. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to TMX Presents, the podcast. And thank you, Carlos, for sharing your story on building Full Circle Lithium and its journey of going public on the TSX Venture Exchange. For more information, visit us.tsx.com. And for more insights from capital markets leaders, visit tmx.com forward slash POV.